Welcome to season two of our podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Natalie. Come along with us every week as we laugh, learn, and listen to the stories that make up a mom's life. Whether you're a first-time listener or a weekly listener, we're so happy you're here. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. That way you'll never miss an episode. You can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. And hey, thanks for being a part of our community. And you might need a pen and paper for this one too, because this is a good one. Um, But also we want to mention that um, this is uh, a mom's life and our goal is to tell stories of others. So views and advice, including medical advice expressed by our guests is not our own. And we do not necessarily, it does not reflect our viewpoints. Um, We also have our minute with Mike. Yeah, we do. He is a licensed independent social worker. He's on our team. When appropriate, Mike digs deeper into certain episodes, kind of helping you connect with resources. He won't be here this week because we have an expert. Yes. Last week, we had so many questions for medical nutritionist Mary that we are continuing that conversation today with another really, really important topic. Um, So 12% of women have difficulty conceiving or staying pregnant after they have had a successful pregnancy. It's hard to believe 12%. It is. That's a big percentage. Um, You know, we, it's called secondary infertility. That is what we're discussing today. It brings, you know, a lot of challenging emotions. You know, you're, you feel hopeless and confused, frustrated. Like how was I able to get pregnant and have a baby? And then now I can't, you would think your body does it once how, you know, should be able to do it again. The list kind of goes on and on. I have so many friends right now who are going through this. You know, even if you've just had the one miscarriage and you can't get pregnant again, the frustration that goes with that, I can't even imagine. Um, And I know that uh, there, you know, there's a lot of medicine out there that talks about it. There's a lot of things that they're put on or that they have to try. And it's a lot on their bodies. It's a lot on their psyche. I was going to say mentally. Yeah. I I don't, I, I didn't have to deal with this and I don't know a ton of people, but I do know some. And yeah, it's kind of like I said, you know, you, your body does something once it's kind of like riding a bike, right? You would think that your body has this blueprint of like, all right, well, this is what it's supposed to do. Why isn't it doing it this time? Especially if, you know, regard, like you mentioned miscarriage or, or baby that, you know, came to fruition. Like why, why can't I do this again? Especially if you want to expand your family. Yeah. And modern medicine, you know, doesn't always work with this, right. unfortunately. And, and so we know that. And so today's episode, we're not really going to dive into the modern medicine world. So if you were expecting that, we're sorry, but yeah. we have something different for you. A different approach. Yeah. A different alternative. And it, it may be beneficial for something that you don't normally hear of to help yeah. with this. Well, I think podcasts are all about, you know, opening your your eyes to or ears really to just new ways of thinking and research. There's so much. So Mary um, and I are friends. She went, we went to high school together and I just, her journey is incredible. She's currently based in Greece, but she's traveling literally all over the world and has. I mean, there's so many places she's gone. She's practicing as a medical nutritionist with expertise in metabolic health and the microbiome conditioning. So her work, I mean, like I said, it's just, it's kind of fascinating. She has this different take through her research. I mean, she, she literally spends weeks with tribes, um, all over the world and learning how they eat and how they live and and how they teach their kids. Uh, she has met with tens of thousands of families, from preconception to the elderly years, just to learn from them. And I, I, you know, without speaking for her, her hope is to take this research and this knowledge and then 
put it out there for people to understand how these tribes and these different people um, in the in the world how they approach things like infertility and and all of that, which we can learn so much from. So you know, if you are one of those people who are going through this, our heart goes out to you, and we really really hope that you can learn something from this. And, and honestly, it's maybe not for everybody, but it's one of those things that if you've tried everything, why not yes. listen to, to something else that you, you might be able to try? Yeah. So welcome back, Mary. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, this is a really near and dear uh, condition to talk about. It's one of my favorite things to work with because people struggling with it, it's such a deep, personal, sad struggle that oh, yeah. they deal with. And so because of that, it's one of the most rewarding things I work with. I, I absolutely love hearing from someone that they're getting pregnant, <laughs> that they're pregnant and that they've had their child. Um, it's really, for that reason, my favorite thing to work with. And it's such a, a really hopeless situation for the couples going through it and very sad and confusing, especially when they've already had a child and they don't understand why when it was so easy often, usually in these cases, it was actually really easy in the first birth or the first pregnancy, why it can take like four years to get pregnant again, if all, if at all. So, um, so one thing I do is, is to help kind of like what we talked about last week, get at the balancing the hormones and also some of the causes of infertility in general, and especially secondary infertility. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, the difference in, you know, primary fertility, I guess you'd call it, you know, after you've having had, yeah, primary and then versus secondary infertility. What's, what um, is the main difference or main cause there, if, if there is one? Well, it can be a couple of different things. It can be the same. So they can be the same because pregnancy takes a lot out of a woman. So she can suddenly get deficiencies from that process or thyroid issues these kind of things that can lead to secondary infertility, whereas another woman might've already had those issues prior. So she's not even having the first pregnancy, right? Okay. But then there's also some situations like the person just doesn't have eggs, right? Uh -huh. So someone who has primary infertility, they may just not have eggs. They could have a physical issue that's really getting in the way, or they and their partner can have an issue together. So primary uh, infertility can be uh, more just kind of clear cut, like that's an infertile situation or can, which has been my experience very often really relate to secondary infertility, that it's these imbalances in the body. Um, often it can be male, you know, cause mm -hmm. male sperm count has gone down 60% since the seventies. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. It's that. gone down drastically. So, and as the, the male gets older, even a matter of year or two, the sperm count is going down drastically during that time, the testosterone levels are plummeting with men. So it's not just the females that are going through this. And so the combination of those two can lead to this seemingly hopeless situation of secondary infertility or primary that usually is not hopeless at all. Uh, there's all these things you can do either while you're doing the other methods, maybe IVF and these kind of things or in, in place of, or in before. Yeah. That. Wow. Okay. So the secondary infertility, when would you know that you have it? I know, you know, when, when they're first telling you, you got to start trying for the six months or whatever, or a year, if you're under 35, you know, when, when should you start to maybe ask your doctor about this secondary infertility? I know medically they say a year, if you've been trying for a year and you haven't gotten pregnant, um, it can take 
a couple is a long time in terms of that. We're not rabbits, <laughs> and especially as we're getting older. <laughs> so that, that would be perfectly normal to take a year of trying, especially if you haven't been tracking, you don't know if, where your LH surge is, if you're ovulating. Now it's become so much easier. I mean, we can get these ovulation strips like 50 for the dozen. <laughs> yeah. Know, we, we have access to all this stuff. So if you take a, a bit of time, I know it can feel overwhelming, but you can actually track if you're ovulating and if you're having an LH surge. And that is going to help you a lot in terms of what you need to do and um, what needs to be done if you're not having those. But even with tracking that, it can still take time. There's a bunch of things that can get in the way. For instance, one thing I often see uh, with women on the female side of it is BV, bacterial vaginosis. One in three females tends to have that, and that changes the pH of the vaginal canal to where it kills the sperm. So there could be wow. nothing actually oh. wrong. And this person can have this kind of silent bacterial infection going on and they just won't get pregnant in that case. Perfect ovaries, perfect sperm, all that kind of stuff, but nothing's happening. Wow. Um, and that's very common. And again, that's just from the, the vaginal canal being too alkaline instead of you actually want an acidic uh, vaginal canal. And you can test for that, right? You can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a real easy test. Your OBGYN can rule that out for you very easily. Um, and then you can treat it as, as they suggest. There's some old world ways of treating it. It's actually a, a very old <laughs> condition that was pretty common. So in a lot of places of the world, like Russia, they would use uh, yogurt to repopulate. It's essentially... What causes the alkalinity there, at least what's medically theorized too, is from the lack of lactobacillus bacteria in the vaginal canal, which is happening more and more often with our antibiotic use. But it's a very, it's perhaps the most common bacteria in the human body. It's in yogurt, it's in all sorts of things. And, uh, and so it's not too hard to repopulate, but it's often due to a lack of that population there, the lactobacillus. And when that's lacking, the bacterial overgrowth takes over and creates an alkaline environment, which is inhospitable to sperm. Yeah, wow, simple fix. Yeah, <laughs> that would have thought. Well, and I love, that's what I, I feel like when we talk to you, Mary, you give us simple fixes and that's just what people need right now. You don't give us magic pills, but you give, you've got to put in the work and do it. And so that is a question that I wanted to ask as well. You know, when should you start to seek medical advice if you are having issues with secondary infertility? I mean, can you go into a doctor and say, Hey, I think I have this bacterial vaginosis or you know, sometimes I feel like we, we get nervous going into the doctor's office because we feel like um, if we, you know, we ask something that maybe we, we're going to feel like we know too much and, and they're kind of like, no, we're the doctor here. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to, you know. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like anyone on our healthcare team is really our employee. Right. Mm -hmm. So whether you have a therapist, a doctor, a health coach, whatever, they're your employee, you know, so you don't have to, you don't get to, we don't get to boss anybody around, but at the same time, like if they're not giving us what we're wanting and if our requests are reasonable, just move on <laughs> to the next one. I'd say. Agreed. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I think, you know, because there's so many amen amenable people and especially if you're just asking for basic things. But I would do, I mean, I would start early because so many people are dealing with infertility. The infertility rates just rise all the time. And we'll, we'll go into why and don't feel hopeless about that. It's very fixable. But uh, <laughs> but I would go early and get a full workup, just a normal OBGYN appointment, get your labs run. You know, if you, if you have the money, get a Dutch test to do your whole, whole hormone panel so you can see where they are because 
I find the beauty of testing, especially if you have health insurance, is that you see where you're at. So you know exactly what to address and you're not guessing. I, I'm not a doctor, right? So I don't, I don't tend to do the testing. I'm qualified to. I can order these tests, but I never do. I, I always have people go through their doctors. And most of the stuff you can see without testing. But if I was going, I, absolutely, I would go and see what it is from the get-go. Yeah. Because then you know ahead of time if you need to work on things like, okay, mm -hmm. my estrogen isn't spiking when it should. What do I need to do to bring, you know, bring that up? And my progesterone is chronically low. Okay, I can definitely address that. And there's ways to do that. Um, and, and that kind of thing. And that can help you all the way down the line, because when your hormones are off, it doesn't just affect your fertility, it affects your bowel function. Uh, a lot of people don't know constipation is often caused by low progesterone, and all sorts of things. So or estrogen dominance will do the same. So I would start at the beginning. And then if you're a year in, do it again, and see what your work has done and that kind of thing uh, after a year then you want to look more seriously especially based on your age i mean if you're 22 just keep going <laughs> but if you're you know if you're yeah <laughs> if you're in your 30s you know especially a, a lot of people don't even start until they're like 38 39 40. i would do it all at once because you don't have time to mess around yes that's <laughs> and, oh. yeah and every cycle is important so uh so i would start in the beginning essentially and same with the, the sperm count. I would check with the guy because sperm count and egg quality can really be improved through diet and lifestyle. And so if you know what you're dealing with, then you, you can address that. Okay. So besides the, the bacteria part of it, is there anything else that could be causing this secondary infertility? Like what other causes uh, are out there? I would say probably the most common that I see is PCOS and oh, okay. resistance. Uh, basically from the imbalance in with the spike in insulin, it causes a, a estrogen dominant situation or an androgen dominant situation. And for those women, for the PCOSers, they're going to get the hormonal acne around the chin. It's really awful adult acne that nothing works on. It's because it's hormonally driven and things do work on it. It just seems like nothing does. Spearmint tea knocks that sucker out as does myo-inositol. And we're going to talk about myo-inositol because it's amazing for infertility. Uh, and so this can actually really go away quite quickly if you get the right internal mix. Uh, another thing outside of PCOS that often causes it an endometriosis is deficiency. That we have... Um, we have a situation right now where we're hypercaloric. So we have too much, too many calories, but low, uh, low nutrient dense foods, especially in the fertile uh, nutrients. The most fertile nutrients are the fat soluble vitamins. That's the animal form of A, which just nobody gets anymore. K, also animal form and, and the vitamin uh, uh, D as well. So those are really essential along with DHA and iodine. But, uh, but iodine deficiencies are very common and those will cause thyroid disease. So when you have thyroid disease, infertility is rampant. So you'll have some of that as well. Oh. But really the fat soluble vitamins are super important. E, e I didn't mention, but E is also very important for fertility. So we'll look at those and then we'll work on balancing the hormones. We'll use a lot of lifestyle things to get at melatonin. Melat if only if though uh, the person has poor egg quality. Uh, poor egg quality can be vastly improved by like rapidly increasing your melatonin production. And that huh. usually is done through the darkening methods of the room, along with allowing light in during the, the full moon. As funny as that sounds, it actually- Really? Yeah. I love, see, this is the most fascinating thing. <laughs> I mean, I could talk to you for like 72 hours straight. I, I think that's amazing. But it's, I think 
I think the reason is because we're so that circadian rhythm is so important and like people lived and died by it and now it's gone. Yeah. Because it's just you're you're inside, you're on a computer, you're doing your thing, you don't wake up when it the sun comes up, you don't go to sleep when the sun goes down. Well heck, I'd have to go to bed at 5:15 here right. in the winter, right? Um <laughs> But I do, I think it's so amazing that even just the mattresses and all the things that, you know, they're treating them. I, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's fascinating when um, we can learn stuff like that that can actually, like, who would think that letting moonlight in is going to help us get pregnant? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, yeah, it's actually amazing. <laughs> it's really amazing. And I think the coolest thing about this is that often when I get um, an infertile couple, they would have been trying for five or six years. A lot of times they've done several rounds of IVF, this kind of thing. Sometimes they've even moved countries to go places where it's cheaper and where they can afford to do more rounds yeah. and those kind of things. And so they'll feel like they've done literally everything to get pregnant. And I'll ask them like, okay, what have you done dietarily? What have you done lifestyle? What have you done? Herb like, have you seen an herbalist and these kind of things? And usually the answer is none. Like mm -hmm. people don't even know that these are options to do. Yeah. And they're great options because uh, you can do them at home <laughs> for free. So right. it's really- I mean, what's the yeah. point of, I mean, just yeah. try it, right? I yes. mean, if you tried everything else, you might as well. And it's empowering. I don't know about you all. We've all dealt with illness here. So- one, I think the worst thing about illness is that you feel out of control. Like yes. you don't have any say about how you're going to be in that day and in that hour and in that minute. And when you have something proactive to do, it really helps you to get out of that um, feeling of disempowerment and back into your own power and feeling confident and happy and healthy and giving you purpose. So just having something to follow can be very, very helpful in getting you out. One of the things I look at is, is uh, traditional societies. So I spent a lot of my time this last year down in Africa, about six months or so, and I'm headed back in a month and a half, hopefully, <laughs> coronavirus allows it. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's, a, it's really amazing to see the women there, especially that still live in the traditional uh, tribal format, uh, community format is what it would be called there. But, um, so not in the cities so much, but still living in the traditional way, eating the traditional diets. And it's remarkable because one, they are rabbits. They get pregnant like that. <laughs> and, and lots and lots of children. But even more, I think, remarkable is that when they give birth, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's they easy. just squat in a field and they go back to work. They strap the baby on because their bodies aren't as taxed. They're so healthy that they're just like, okay. <laughs> and amazing. they go back to work, which is none, nobody has that. God, I wish it was that easy. No. Yeah. I will say I though, after my home birth, I mean, that was the quickest I was ever back up and moving. I, I mean, I've had three and after that one, which I did not squat in a field and have my daughter, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't recommend that for anyone, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I did do, you know, I went back to childbearing roots a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I mean, my my recovery process was fast and I, I was definitely up the quickest out of out of all. Yeah. So there's yeah, something there's really there. interesting things you can do. One thing you'll notice when you look at uh, food history along with health history is that regions like especially upper class aristocratic Europe had lots of birthing issues and lots of women dying in childbirth. It was not squatting in a field easy. 
very different diet and lifestyle than those living uh, in tribal communities in Africa and South America and also in Russia and these kind of places. In these regions, they have a pregnancy diet that they give women. Oh. And again, all of these places have different diets that they follow on in general, but the pregnancy diet is kind of the same everywhere I look. It's always a lot of foods that none of us touch anymore, at least most. Uh, it's a lot of organ meats. It's things like raw oh. egg yolks, uh, which are really nutrient dense in those vitamins. You don't have to eat those. <laughs> it's just that those are high <laughs> in the vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. It's like organ, specifically organ meats. And usually in tribal cultures around the world, the organ meats are given to the warriors unless there's someone pregnant and then they're given to them. Most likely because we are the real warriors. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, really. So that's something very different that I do with my infertile couples versus someone who has endometriosis, but isn't trying to get pregnant with my uh, infertile couples. We'll do a lot of organ meat and the fat soluble vitamins, along with some of the nutrients that they're going to need for pregnancy to have a healthy child. So usually like you'll usually see a lot of iodine deficiencies uh, in, in ill children. And these kind of things, you want to work on iodine, DHA, the fatty acid profile. These kind of things are, are really important along with the electrolytes. So we'll start prepping. And I, I recommend that for anyone wanting to get pregnant, whether you're trying, uh, whether you're having difficulty or not, you actually want to think about a, a nutrient-dense diet for the child, for the fetus, and getting your body ready for that, because your microbiome is going to that child. That child is getting your microbiome, and that makes up... 60 to 90% of our body. That's our immune system, our nervous system. That's how we're going to feel happy or sad and all these kinds of things. So you're really giving them a huge gift and you want to make it as healthy as possible. So what else can they do to help their bodies out? You know, I know we talked a lot about the vitamins and the, what we're eating. Is there anything else? Yeah, the vitamins and the nutrients are super important, but a big one is is lowering your stress. And I know everybody gets told that, but we have very stressful lives today, especially in America. Holy smokes, the women are often doing like the jobs of five and, and yeah. really don't have much time to themselves or downtime. When we're stressed, we spike our, our estrogen. So a major lifestyle thing that really affects our fertility is our stress levels. And, you know, some of those things we can't avoid, but some we can. So you want to take control of what you can, like implementing a daily uh, meditation practice. Uh, if you follow a certain faith, most forms of faith have a form of meditation, or you can just do the classic presence uh, following the breath. But it, being really strict about actually making that time for yourself as a gift to allow yourself to be present, allow the cells to relax. It's actually really, really good to do. One of my favorite things to do is keep a gratitude journal that keeps my stress very low. It keeps my brain looking at the positive. So you can do those kind of things too. Getting out and going for a walk and getting into nature on a daily basis is very important. And then of course, staying connected with friends even during this time. So doing online chats and those kind of things, all of these things bring cortisol down and some funny things like taking cold showers, hot showers, uh, increase our stress. And even though it doesn't seem like it emotionally, really? we all love the hot showers. Yeah. But taking cold showers is actually really helpful for lowering the stress and those kind of things. So you can look into those things. It's, there's a really vast, um, uh, really amazing network of scientific studies done on how lifestyle affects our cortisol hormone, which is our stress hormone and what you can do everything from watching funny movies to dance, Saying there's there's a whole scope of things that you can do, but you want to start implementing as many of those as you can and making some time for yourself to just be yourself instead of achieving. That's really important. 
Wow. That's really good. I also got out of that, that you need to have sex in a cold shower when you're trying to conceive, right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This sounds awful. I know. No, no, separate. Separate is great. (laughs) Separate. Oh my God. That's, I had no idea. Yeah. It, the de-stress sounds like a long, hot shower. I, I, did you know that? I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. So a lot of this is women-based, but I mean, as we know, I mean, men can contribute to this too, right? So is there anything I'm so that glad you brought that up. Yeah. So men should always get tested because they're easier. They're actually a lot easier. Usually it's from low testosterone, excess estrogen, and poor sperm count. Those three things together. And they're usually interrelated. So for men, their stress hormone is not testosterone. You know, we, we think of testosterone as the like um, male hormone that's really aggressive. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's like the calm, collected statesman. That's who has the high amount of testosterone. Um, The guy who's really aggressive actually has too much estrogen. That's their stress Uh hormone. Yes. Okay, that's funny. (laughs) So balancing that out. And just like for endometriosis, like we talked about last week, the thing that helps with estrogen in both males and females is doing a lot of cruciferous vegetables to balance that excess estrogen. So usually I recommend at least three cups a day, and you can do that all at once. Like, And is that cooked too, not raw? Always cooked. Yeah, always cooked. A lot of plants have anti-nutrients in them. And if you don't cook them or prepare them in a certain way, then they they actually have these sticky uh, proteins that can lead to immune issues and inflammation and all sorts of things. So most of the vegetables you want to cook in general, but if it's a real low testosterone ketogenic, but they don't have to go ketogenic if it's not a severe uh, low testosterone level. So just low carb is fine. And then they need to do something physical like lifting weights or chopping wood to get that testosterone up. That's really helpful. Yeah, and it can also be a sexy thing, was. right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. There, you know, what really helps them actually is our praise. If we praise them, that actually helps their testosterone a lot. So yeah, cheering them on is always really good. Um, and then them having some quiet time as well. So like after after intercourse, if you know how girls usually want to snuggle and guys don't, that's usually the case. There's actually a hormonal reason for that. In studies, when, um, when women snuggle with men after intercourse, our oxytocin goes up, which is our anti-stress and bliss hormone. It makes us feel amazing. It's what we have when we see babies and play with puppies and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's our great hormone that keeps us balanced, wonderful females You know that we're proud of. For them, if they cuddle after intercourse, their estrogen goes too high and they become stressed. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and problematic. Yeah. So there are times when men actually need to be off by themselves too, as far as lifestyle wise. So if he wants to go like on the other side of the bed, just let him secretly. Don't tell him what you're doing. But just be like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Go be by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. No. I mean, a lot of this is just fascinating advice. And, and again, we know, I mean, I know that I, I, I don't know, but I mean, the people out there struggling right now who've, who've had this, I'm sure are at their wits end because they've tried so many different things and, you know, they're being told this and that, and they don't know what to do, but if anything, you know, hopefully they've learned something from, from this podcast and these tips, but do you have any parting words for them? You know, the, 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 these couples out there that are trying with the secondary infertility? Absolutely. I would say for one, don't stop trying things like you have not done it all. There's so much you can do. I have seen couples that have been trying for 
like 20 years trying to get pregnant and able to get pregnant. So, so really don't listen to anyone when they say that you can't, or at least don't use that as a reason to not continue doing things and working towards it. Uh, I would do everything you can in your power. So, uh, you know, I know I'm a little bit more hardcore than the average bear. So I'm sure my recommendations won't, <laughs> won't be followed. But what I mean, if it was me, what I would be doing is eating organ meat on a daily basis, small amounts, but I would be doing it daily. I would be really working on my fat soluble vitamins through food. So things like oysters and uh And if you tolerate A2 dairy, that's a good source of vitamin D, A, and K. Uh, You can do egg yolks, if not, and those kind of things, fish oils are really good. I work on your minerals like zinc and iodine. Those are often very deficient and found in many of those same foods. You can do all this without supplementation. You don't have to do supplements with those. Uh, There are a couple supplements, though, that are really helpful, especially if PCOS is uh, an issue or if you're just non-specified in fertility. One is called myo-inositol. It has wonderful studies, but I I personally care less about the studies and more about the results because I'm in practice. So I need to give people results or I won't have a job. So the the myo-inositol, I really see really wonderful things happen. And as with all hormonal issues, it takes usually about three months to start kicking in. You usually start to feel better if you have symptoms within the first month, but in terms of fertility, three to 12. So myo-inositol is really good. And the studies are all at about 2000 milligrams or two grams a night. Uh, Melatonin, getting that going, whether you use the the supplements or the lifestyle things that I recommended. Um, And then of course, relaxing, you know, there's that trope about Well, I I guess I should say infertility is one of the very stressful conditions I work with for the patient because every single month, two weeks in, it's like, is this a sign of pregnancy? Why am I not liking fish right now? Why am I so hungry? Right. And so they think they're pregnant every time for two weeks and then the big letdown and then over and over. And they've been going through that for years and years and years. And it's like exhausting. Whereas if you have cancer, you know, you have cancer and you're not checking it for three months. So you've got a uh, kind of more, less of a roller coaster, I would say, than the infertility couples go through. And, and there's also not as much external support. You know, if you have cancer, uh, everybody comes over with casseroles and is <laughs> bringing you gifts. The infertility is very private to the family. You know, a lot of times the true. rest of the family doesn't even know. So it's a real internal sadness that happens. Um, and, and often with secondary, the person feels guilty because they have a child and they know not everyone can have children. So they're like, okay, I should just be happy with my one child, but, and then you feel guilty for that. So there's all these layers of the emotional. So what, what I would say Gosh, yeah. is that one thing I think we've all seen, I mean, it's such a trope, but it, it seems like as soon as the infertile couple adopt adopts, that's when they get pregnant, right? I see that all the time. Yep. I all have the seen time. That. Yeah, all the time. So, and I, I really think that comes down to just the the full relaxation of like, Ooh, okay, we did it, we're good. And also the letting go of the struggle. That um, That's something I see in all the conditions I work with, whether it's, you know, epilepsy or chronic fatigue or MS, whatever it might be, is that uh, when you hold on to the uh, intense struggle of it, you don't tend to get your results. 
when you kind of relax into the like, okay, this is the situation, you accept it, and then you take full responsibility and you do the things, but you're not stressed anymore about having the situation. Okay, that's yeah. kind of where you see really beautiful things happen, and and I see it over and over in all the illnesses, and I think it's just a part of the progression. Everybody fights it in the beginning, uh, and that beginning can be 20 years, <laughs> but yeah. you know you're gonna fight it and rebel against it because it sucks. It's not fun. Um, but once you get to a place where you're happy, whether it happens or not, uh, and again, I think that comes down to the cortisol and the hormones uh, biochemically, uh, then then the body relaxes and it's a bit easier. Yeah. It's amazing how much all that connects, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The just going things. back to our roots, you know, I think that's in, yeah. in last week's discussion and this week's discussion, it's like going back to the roots, kind of like getting back to the good whole foods and going to bed when the sun goes down and waking up when the sun comes up and trying to eat healthy and find some time for you. That's a big one. Find some time for you and balance everything out, which yeah. I love that. that. That's one of my favorite tips from the past podcast, Mary, just great advice all around. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I hope it helps. I hope it helps somebody at home, even, even if they can just start to try something or to alter, you know, the, their diet or, or whatnot, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think uh, fertility is really something that I've seen people really bounce back from, especially, you know, most of the cases I see are unspecified. So it's not that they have um, damage to the tubes or a lack of eggs. It's usually poor egg quality, uh, less eggs, and then the hormonal imbalance and that kind of thing. And those you actually have control over. You can actually change that. Uh, so it's just a matter then of education and of practice. Okay. What would you recommend uh, people to research? Any any other good? I mean, your website. Would you? Do oh yeah, anything? yeah. Um, mine. I have a protocol I'll put up on fertility. I just have it for my patients, so I'll put it up there. And uh, and yeah, actually, there's really good ones. I I would go to Jason Fung for this one. He's really good. I know I referred you to him for endometriosis, but I I really like him for hormones because he is very research based and down to earth at the same time, and just conveys the information very well um, to the lay person. So I would go to him. I'd say there's another doctor that's wonderful out of, uh, out of Mozambique, who's really good with fertility. Um, and they collaborated on a book on PCOS that you can get on Amazon that I always have my patients read, whether they have PCOS or not, if they're dealing with infertility, because it goes into the hormones, the cycles, the egg quality, um, what affects those things in your diet and those kind of things. And then I would start researching on lifestyle um, uh, to lower stress. Wim Hof is a good place to go. The, the kooky Nordic guy who does breath work and cold therapy. He's, he's great because he has so much free information on YouTube. I mean, YouTube is a whole, um, you can get a whole <laughs> uh, self-study degree on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's nice because there's a lot of people that have already tried these things so you can try them. Of course, also, you know, the other, I mean, there's the downside of YouTube and that is that there's so, in, so much information you can feel overwhelmed. But I think the easiest solution to that is just pick a thing and do that solidly for a matter of time. With the hormones, you need at least three three months for that to rewrite itself. So anything you do for like uh, two weeks isn't going to do anything. And that's something I should mention. Uh, with the microbiome and with the hormones, a diet of moderation, a lifestyle of moderation does not work. And I think that's why we have so many people struggling. 
Uh, moderation works when you have a balanced microbiome and it works more in the traditional sense of when people were living in a traditional way with a traditional diet, even just a hundred years ago, things are very different now with the state of our microbiome. So if you have one thing that feeds the overgrowth and that overgrowth lives for three months and you have that one thing every month and a half, you're never actually killing that bacteria. Hmm. So, so you do actually have to do things more completely now than um, back in the day for sure, for things to work. But those are never lifetime things that you have to do. Uh, it's a temporary adjustment. All great advice. Yeah, Thank so you good. so much. Yes, good. Mary, thanks for being here all the way from Greece. <laughs> oh, yes. you're welcome. Thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite subjects. And I feel like, uh, gosh, moms just need all the help. And I feel like, I don't know about you, you all, but I wish I would have known all this stuff when I was 12 yes. and 14. Yes instead of now. So I feel like it's part of our job to like spread the word, give raspberry leaf to all the girls when they menstruate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is what we yeah. were just talking about. We want to spread the word and you are helping us yeah. do that. So thank yeah. you so very much, Mary. We <laughs> yes. appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Very welcome. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay with us next week and every week, every Wednesday, a brand new episode of A Mom's Life. That's right. And you can also find them all over our website at amomslifepodcast.com. See you next Wednesday.